Cars on Call is a different car podcast. Two car guy physicians, one of whom has been reviewing new cars for almost 30 years. That's me, Steve Schutz, and the other of whom is a trauma surgeon. That's my co-host, Stefan Moran. Discuss car topics of the day from a perspective you won't find anywhere else. All right, well, let's get started, Stefan, and welcome to Cars on Call. I am Steve Schutz, and I, along with my co-host, Stefan Moran, will be talking cars. We've got some some good topics today, Stefan. I'm excited, but before we get there, let us revisit our uh, favorite sunken car transport ship with the stripper name, the, the Felicity Ace, and I know you saw this, Stefan, but they finally, uh, they didn't announce, or they didn't they didn't release the the manifest, but Top Gear found it, and there is some interesting cars on there. Yeah, I looked at it. You know, last dance, last dance for love. Yes, it's my last chance for romance tonight. Felicity went down. Yeah, I looked at that. <laughs> Did you just come <laughs> up with that? No, I, I, that's Donna <laughs> Summers. I actually read that. Donna I was trying Summers. to get. I tried to get the music to play, but you know, it got too much gray hair. I need a media consultant to. Uh, I want to get that song to play, but I couldn't do it. Yeah, I, I looked at that. You sent me the thing on Jalopnik, and um, yeah, there's all that new stuff. But I think the interesting stuff we ought to just breeze over is yes. the old stuff that was on there. Yeah, I mean, come on, a five thousand dollar 2014 Kia Soul. I mean, what is that about? Yeah, there were there were two. There was the Kia Soul, and then there was a 2018 Nissan Versa Note. And my take on that was that those probably belonged to the crew. And they oh probably, yeah, good point. Yeah, you know, there's point. 22 guys on there. They probably go back and forth, and instead of renting a car when they get to the United States, if they want to go to the crew dive bar, they, but they can they do that? Can they just drive off the ship? And can they, I mean I don't know. Can they, I guess you can do that. Well, you and I can't do that. But if you're on the crew, you yeah. know, you know, the dudes uh, that are unloading the, 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 you know, everyone on the, on the dock. Yeah. And I'm sure they, they let you go through and say, Hey, you know, come back, you know, come back in a couple hours, bring me back some black label or something, you know, it's all <laughs> yeah. okay. And I saw that a 2007 BMW 750. Why? I mean, that car would just be a nightmare to keep to keep up and surely you could find one in the United States that was had been treated nicer. That was a strange one. Yeah. Uh, the 2015 Mustang, again, it was random stuff, 12 tractors. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the 15 Aventadors are worth something. I mean, just to refresh everyone's memory, there were 189 Bentleys, uh, about 1100 Porsches, uh, a lot of Audis, a lot of Volkswagens, but, uh, 85 Lambos and 15 were the last Aventadors. And, and Lamborghini said they're going to make some more. They're going to make the 15. And, you know, you if you make your last cars in a factory, you know, you, you start pulling the tooling out to get the factory ready for the next model. Your, your workers go on vacation. So it is not easy to just restart the, the factory. And, and Lamborghini said, we're going to make the 15. But they said they made a point of saying with great effort. Yeah. Good for them. I mean, yeah. Yeah, they sold those for pretty pricey too. Yeah, they yeah, sold those at a good price. Yeah, three hundred thousand, I think. Three, probably three to four hundred thousand dollars. And Stefan, my favorite one before we move on is the late nineties, late late nineties Honda Prelude SIR. Have you ever heard of that? Never heard of it. I have yeah. no idea what that even is. Obviously, not for sale in the United States. And a little interesting note that I read was it was uninsured. 
it, you know, I, I kind of know how this happens. You know, you, you want to ship something over and you got 30 days from the time you buy it and it's insured, it's considered insured for 30 days. But when you buy something, it sits on the dock for a while. It doesn't like roll right onto the ship and leave. So I bet you the guy bought it. He's like, oh, I'll insure it when it gets here. No big deal. And then it was more than 30 days and it's out in the, you know, it's 36 days or something after he bought it. It's sitting out on out off the coast of Portugal and then it sinks. And, and uh, it's certainly a rare car. It's probably, you know, if it's low miles, it's probably 50 to $100,000. And uh, it was lost and gone. Another, I, I, I didn't know there was a Prelude SIR. Nope, I didn't either. Anyway, and one more book or house, housekeeping thing, because because I was thinking about this. You know, we were talking about Lexus and detail, and and you and I both agreed that relentless pursuit of perfection is a good slogan. Uh, the new one is experience amazing, and if you think about, <laughs> yeah, the lineup, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, UX, NX, uh, GX, LX, RX, ES. I drove an ES. Yeah, show uh, me the to, money. Show me. Show me the amazing. What's I mean. Yeah, it, they, they're reliable, they have good resale value, they're quiet, but they are not amazing. No, they're boring. They're great, fabulous cars, but they're overall just, they're so good, they're boring. They've lost character. Yeah, it, it, it's, I mean, come up with a different slogan, at least that actually yeah. matches. You know, they're refined and quiet and, and they're obviously good quality, but yeah, they're, they're not amazing. So, hey, some car spotting, and I was so excited. I'm like, I cannot wait to talk about this car. Uh, this was a thrill, Stefan. This was a, I saw it uh, parked outside of a, a park. Someone, they're probably walking their dog. This is like, a, it was a 1977 or 1978 burnt orange Volkswagen Dasher station wagon. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. It's even still on the road. It was oh, in great shape. Great. There was no rust. Wow, that's fabulous. And yeah, now the, there were they, you know they put salt on your roads out there. And- no, we don't have much salt yeah. on the roads, and that's the advantage. We ah. you know, it's dry and it melts quickly, so we we typically don't salt the roads. But I would bet this guy puts that car away in the winter because yeah, it was, certainly would be susceptible to to rust. You know, the Dasher was the you know what it was the Passat in Europe, but they called the Dasher here, and then. It just had poor quality. It was a crappy car, didn't sell all that well. And then they renamed it, you know, the Passat in Europe, they renamed in the 80s the Quantum. And remember the Quantum? No, I don't remember that one. Yeah, it was like this boxy kind of 80s style. Uh, the Dasher looked very 70s. And, then and the ungainly. Quantum, yeah, it looked kind of ungainly. It was sharp angles and just kind of a, a very mediocre car. And then in the '90s, they relaunched the, the that car here in the, in, in the U.S. and it was the Passat, and it's been a success ever ever since. It'll be you know killed off by the the rise of the SUV, but at least it's a decent car. But yeah, the the Dasher, Stepan. I heard a car before I saw it. We were in uh, visiting my parents in Annapolis, and we were coming back from a concert, and the weather was pretty lousy, raining. But I just heard this nasty, nasty growl coming up behind me. I mean. No, you know, my bullet, my bullet has a, an amazing sound when I put it in track mode, but I wouldn't call it totally nasty, but this sound was nasty. And it was a Dodge Durango SRT Hellcat. So I looked at, I mean, I've seen, you know, I didn't know that they actually made the Hellcat in that version, but it was, I didn't, a, I didn't either. 
It was raunchy, loud. So I looked it up and actually, so a few things about the Dodge Durango Hellcat. So if you're all listening, this is an SUV that they put in their monster motor, 710 horsepower, 645 pounds of foot torque, base price 80K, 80,000 for a Dodge Durango SUV. I'm I'm not thinking, I'm not feeling that. But anyway, that actually has an, they call it the enhanced exhaust system amplifies the thunder. Um, so they're doing something, and that's why it was nasty sounded. Emphasis on thunder. I thunder, mean, yeah. That is a thunderous engine. And uh, yeah, zero to sixty three point six. And one of the color options, color options is demonic red. Steve-O. how do you like that? And that's oh. oh, what a great color for that vehicle. I love it. It's it's absolutely awesome. You know, they came out with the Hellcat probably eight years ago, six years ago, something like that, and they just started sticking and stuff. Yeah, And it was unbelievable. They stuck it in the, obviously the Challenger and Charger to start. Uh, right now you can get it. I, I'd actually forgotten you can get it in the Durango, but I know you can get it in the Ram and it's the TRX, basically a big middle finger to the Raptor, the Ford Raptor uh, F-150. Yeah, I find it fascinating. They just, their solution to everything for Dodge was just stick a Hellcat into it. Which I think is great, you know, and, and in case 710 horsepower is not enough, Hennessy will crank it up to a thousand for you after market tuner. I can't even imagine. So, I mean, 700 horsepower is mind blowing. And yes, you know, you and I remember when 200 was a lot, 300 was kind of like, wow. And then the early 2000s, you got 400. It's like, oh my gosh. And supposedly they've got even more. I don't know if you remember, Stefan, but. Ford got into trouble with, uh, I think it was the Cobra back in the, the Mustang Cobra back in the early 2000s. And they said it had like, you know, 382 horsepower and, and guys put it in the dyno. It was like 360 and Ford had to give them money. They, they lost a, tra- a class action suit. And ever since then, the manufacturers have understated the horsepower. And uh, I'm sure that the Hellcat has more than 710 horsepower. Yeah, I would, I would agree completely. Uh, anyway, it's <laughs> cool cars. Cool. But I heard so it was car listening before I spotted it. Was it was quite the sound though. He was hauling ass. I mean, probably it's raining and he's got a little drive, but he's probably doing at least 80, 85. But I heard him before I saw him. Yeah, I'll so. I'll bet that uh Hellcat Durango was faster than the Dasher. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine <laughs> so. Eat it for lunch. Yeah. All right. All well, right, what I- else you want to talk about? Our big topic today is manual transmissions, but before we do, we were talking about the Forerunner, and I am sure the Forerunner is going to make a lot of appearances in this show. Because the effing runner, the front, <laughs> the F- I just love that you call it the effing runner. So anyway, the uh, the Forerunner, and it reminded me that in the auto industry, you know, either dealers or manufacturers talk about cars in terms of push or pull, and what they mean by that is. You know, before the pandemic, before the chip shortage, basically for car dealers, most cars were a push. And by that, it is a car, you've got to advertise it, you've got to discount it, you got to give deals, and you have to do whatever you can to get it out the door into people's driveways so the factory will keep on running. And a good, you know, it's the Chevy Impalas, the, the Ford Escapes, the, the Honda CRVs. These are cars that are just almost commodities and, and you have to push them. And then there's the rare pull car where the market is pulling it out. And the classic example now is the Ford Bronco, which we've talked about. And of course, the Forerunner, they don't advertise those cars. They don't discount them. 
even in a non-pandemic, non-chip shortage world, those cars have people that buy them. I think the Tesla Model Y is a very good pull car. And the reason I was thinking about this was we were talking about electric cars and, and coming electric cars, and there's ads now for the Cadillac Lyric. And the Lyric is, you know, it looks good. It's a battery electric SUV thing. And, and again, I think it looks great, but they're advertising it and they're saying you can finally order it. They yeah, May 19th. Yeah, they probably they probably discount it. And I thought it was very interesting contrast between the Lyric, which is the future, but they have to push, whereas the the classic pull SUV sits right across the same showroom, and that's the Escalade. And you know, they do they don't have to advertise the Escalade. People come in and they want an Escalade, they lease it for three years, they come in, they get another one. And you know, you sit outside the gate of a very nice community in you know eastern connecticut or or palm springs or or palm beach you know scottsdale arizona if you just sit there outside of the gate you're going to see lots of escalates coming and going and it's it's a classic pull car i just thought it was interesting and i, I know the lyric is the future but you know the escalate still has some life yeah i mean i looked up the lyric since you told me we we're going to talk about it and it is an interesting you know and the thing I do like the Lyric. Uh, I like the front end, the grill. It looks like an electric vehicle. I like the styling cues there. It is a sportback Turismo look like Porsche's done. So they kind of like they dropped the rear quarter behind the C-pillar. I think it'll be interesting to see if you're a tall person, how you fit in the back seat of that thing. Because it's typically, you know, they, you lose a lot of headroom there. They did go, the, the rear quarter panel looks a little strange. They went with a wraparound dash instead of more of the Tesla style dash. So it's kind of that in between a regular car and electric car kind of look. Um, I did read, you know, of course, from a safety standpoint, the Cadillac smart system, that thing has every possible feature that you'd want safety wise. And what I find interesting is they talk about pedestrian and bicyclist when they talk mm. about their rear view and front view with automatic braking recognizes um cyclist as well i think that's great i what imagine it those, again? it's like pedicycle or something what's the term uh, so it's, it, the word is is uh, our pedicyclist that's so it yeah in the literature when you're talking that's talking about pedestrians and cyclists combined that that whole group of non-motorized transportation are called pedicyclist and then it has uh, you know as you know i'm always i'm a ford guy but i do like gm's approach to autonomous driving and they call it super cruise and their Super Cruise is actually a level two category. So it is hands-off driving, but it is only on roads that they have mapped that they have deemed safe for autonomous driving. And you have to remain attentive. It's watching you. But so basically, this is like cruising down the interstate. It'll even change lanes and pass for you with adaptive cruise control. I like that approach. and like the Tesla approach where they've had some issues with autonomous driving and it's, it's, it's not fail-safe, but I like Cadillacs more. I think the approach needs to be more conservative. They're not at the, you know, Mercedes has moved one level above them, but I do like that level two cruise autonomy that they have on this lyric. So yeah. Kudos. It's, so kudos it's, to GM. It's a controversial area where Tesla calls it autopilot and they've had deaths where people are treating it yeah. like an autopilot because autopilot says autopilot and they're not conservative and people have died as a result. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll leave that discussion. That'll be another topic for discussion, autonomous driving yep. we'll do later down the road. So, all right. What's next, Evo? Yeah, that's a whole kettle of fish, the whole autonomous yeah. thing. But yeah, my hat, you know, again, I look at Cadillac and I think that they have decided we're going to leapfrog ahead. We're going to embrace autonomy. We're going to embrace battery electric. 
and the lyric is step one in this transformative process for Cadillac. I think they can't lose. They 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 really are an also ran and in the late 1970s, really into the 1980s, they ruled the luxury market in this country. They absolutely yeah, yeah. they were two, three, four times what BMW or Mercedes would would sell. And now you've got Lexus, BMW, Mercedes at the top selling two to three times what Cadillac sells and uh, Audi, even Audi is way above Cadillac when it comes to sales. So yeah, they, they got to try something. Yeah. We'll see if it works in the interim, Stefan long live the Escalade. Yes. Well, that's what's keeping if it wasn't for the Escalade Cadillac would probably fold. Yeah. You go the way of Pontiac and Osmobile. I think, you know, the Escalade keeps that, keeps that division going. Yeah. Yeah, it does. They, they, it's a, it's a classic pull car. So, Hey, the question for you is, uh, this is a rhetorical question, but is the manual transmission doomed in the United States? Yes, it's doomed, unfortunately, except for, except for enthusiasts that want to be interactive and typically a sports car, you know, that's, but I think it is in the United States is doomed. You know, I looked up some stats cause we're going to talk about this and only 2.4% cars were still sold with stick shifts in this country. It's offered in 13%. But listen to this. I didn't know this. Europe and Japan, more than 80% of cars sold still have stick shifts in Europe and Japan. So yeah, I saw that in the Wall Street there. Journal. I don't, I don't think it's true. true. I, I actually Googled because I'm like, there's no way it's 80% in Europe. And I Googled it. It actually is lower. It's probably 50% and dropping, okay. dropping fast. Dra- yeah, dropping drastically. Well, the automatic transmissions have gotten better and... Yeah, so yeah, zero percent of electric cars are going to be manual. So as we make that transition, again, it's not going to be offered. It's not going to be possible. So so once we get there, it'll be zero. But it is dropping fast, even in Europe. Yes, which sad day. Sad yeah, day it's us. it's really sad. Uh, I I'm really bummed out about it. Uh, I do understand that it is the future, but it makes me sad. I grew up. I learned driving manuals. Just like used to. What buy. kind of manual? Did you, what kind of manual did you learn to drive in? What was I, it? It was a 1975 Fiat 128. I was a Volkswagen Beetle. That was what I learned to drive. That's what I learned to drive was a Beetle. That's pretty cool. First of all, it's a little weird to to tell if everyone says, "Hey, what's the first car you drove a stick on?" Where like zero percent of the population has any idea what a Fiat 128 is. Like yeah. nobody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you say Beetle. Everyone's like, oh yeah, sure, a Beetle. Here, you say, oh, yeah. one, I know what the Fiat 128 is because all my time in Europe. But yeah, I should, yeah, I should have mentioned that. I yeah, yeah. nobody else yeah, does. A, yeah, great car. Oh, no, they, they're not. Yeah, they were for the time. <laughs> I mean, they, they did their purpose. I know. They were light and it was a it was a hatchback. Yeah. And it, it you had a, a little four-cylinder, it was just gutless. But uh I did enjoy driving it. Yeah. I mean, you know, at, at, when you're 16, it doesn't matter what you're driving. The fact that you're driving that, that independence that you get by pulling out of the driveway. It's like, remember you got your first bicycle that was freedom, but man, there was nothing like your first set of wheels being able to no. grab the keys and go. That's just, yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you a funny story. And this is a reflection of, uh, I would say 1970s bad parenting and, uh, I don't know if I told you this story before, Stefan, but I'm going to tell it because it's it's more a reflection on the 70s and 
bad parenting than it is uh, on anything else. So the way it worked in my in my house was we had this Fiat 128 that was used for my dad's business. And my dad kind of taught me how to drive a stick in our driveway. And I could do like first to second and reverse, but I didn't go on the road, but I could, you know, do the clutch and I could shift gears. And one day he came to me and he said, Hey, Steve, we got to pick up my car. It's at the office. We got to bring it home. And it was, uh, it was nighttime. So it probably was, you know, eight o'clock at night or something. I said, okay. So we drove to his office, which was probably a 10 mile drive uh, on pretty busy roads on Long Island. Long Island, right? Yeah. So it was a pretty busy roads. Uh, and I got into the car and he said, just follow me and, <laughs> and we'll get home. Right. So I did. And I drove all the way home, you know, first, second, third, fourth gear. I did actually a very good job. I didn't stall the car. You didn't rear end him. I did rear end him and I did a good job. And then, again, reflection of the time. I was 11. <laughs> oh my God. 11 years old. True oh, story. I'm like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> Dad. <laughs> No, like I was driving cars. a tractor. I wasn't even driving a tractor <laughs> on my grandpa's farm at 11. True story. It's Jeez. crazy. So yeah, the Fiat 128, I have a lot of, a lot of memories for that. There are, I'm sure, zero still driving around the United States, maybe one or two. Yeah. So anyway, I'll just, I'll say very quickly that uh, a couple of pluses for the manual and, and uh, you know, this as well as I do, I don't think there's a better anti-theft device. Oh Yeah. There's actually T-shirts. Uh, Blipshift has come out with that T-shirt. Yeah, but they call it Millennial Anti-Theft Device, and it's a picture of a the shift pattern on a T-shirt. And I'm like, perfect, you know. And I'll tell you what: pull up in a nice restaurant where they got valet parking. They're gonna, uh, you can park it. Yeah, it's really true. They Which, just and I don't want them driving my nice car anyway, so it's a good excuse. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So it's it's an anti-theft device, and. Uh, yeah, I, I will say very quickly, you know, I blame our educational system, Stefan. This is such a shame. It's an indictment of our educational system. Why can't the mature, older car thieves teach the young kids how to steal <laughs> a manual transmission car? Come on. It's community it's service. Yeah. Pass along that knowledge. And oh, oh, by the way, there's another thing. And, you know, we worry about this dystopian future where you have autonomous cars and they can be hacked, right? You can't hack a manual transmission car. If you if you try to take it over, you just put it in neutral and it coasts to a stop. Exactly. Never yep. thought about that, did you? Yeah. Yeah, anti-hack. Sure. Anti-hack. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Okay. I, I want to talk about this because I feel like when we were talking about talking about manual transmissions, I thought, you know, this is almost like a eulogy. Let's tell some stories like I just did when I was 11 driving a Fiat 128. And let's go through some of the our past because th these things are dead and we're going to remember forever. And the next generation will never experience them. So I got a few questions here, but what's the best manual transmission car you ever drove? I think the best feeling manual transmission. And I think the thing people, if you've listeners out there when you if you've driven a manual transmission it's always that first gear to second gear shift that's i don't know why that's hard for manufacturers to get right but the one that I, car that i had that was absolutely perfect was my acura integra mm. that was the sweetest first to second shift just fabulous that that transmission was just perfectly flawless it was just butter smooth 
and the clutch was perfect. And that car was just an absolute blast to drive. And that was probably the best, you know, I haven't driven any super fancy cars, but in terms of, you know, the best feeling that was, I'd give it to Integra. What about you, Steve? Well, I'll just say quickly, any Honda product, they have always have great manuals. Yes. Always. Yes. always. And I, I've driven a bunch over the years. I've never driven, driven one that was lousy. Any Civic, it doesn't have to be the SI. It doesn't have to be the R. Just get into a base model Civic. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it's the 80s, 90s, or the 2000s. Any, any Honda product is going to have a great manual. Um, yeah, great point. Excellent. Yeah. You know, it's it, it, one thing I'll mention is I drove a couple of versions of the original NSX, and that was as easy to shift as a Civic. You think it's a supercar, so it's going to be you know more challenging. It was just as buttery smooth as as a Civic or your Integra. So yeah, the the best one I ever drove was uh, the 2012 Audi R8, and that had as as you recall a gated manual. I drove the V8 version and the gated manual. You know, I'd never driven a gated manual before. Of course, you know, Ferrari made them famous back back in the day, but I'd never driven a gated manual. I'm like, ah, oh, it's kind of weird. I don't know how it's going to go uh, gear to gear. I always thought I would hit the hit the gate, but it shifted very, very easily, very smoothly. It felt special because it was that gated manual. Of course, it helped that you know R8 is a wonderful supercar. But yeah, that's that's the best one I ever drove. The Audi. Wow, because we, yeah, we drove we drove the automatic R8 at Sonoma together, and I would have loved to. Yeah, that would be really cool because that car was just perfect as well. And to drive that in a manual would be an absolute joy. Yeah, mid-engine, uh, loud, wonderful sports car. Uh, just an amazing, amazing car. Oh, yeah, that's my favorite. Next one is what's the worst? Uh, my grandfather's Massey Ferguson tractor. So incredible, no synchros on any of the gears, but, you know, tractors, you don't shift that often, but let me tell you a story. We were, we, my dad sent us there as kids. This is in West Virginia. And this is back in hay season. You were actually, the big blade came out of the side of the tractor, the tractor cut it, and then you raked it into rows and then you pitchforked it onto the trailer. So we're coming down the, we're coming back with a load of hay on the trailer and on a tractor, there's no brake. So what you do on a tractor is you basically turn the engine all the way down or just turn it off and let the compression of the engine slow you down. Well, my brother had had the tractor in second gear and we're coming down the hill and he decides to downshift like you would a car to slow the tractor down. The minute he put in the clutch, that tractor, I mean, it went from zero to, I don't know how fast instantaneously, you know, Newton's laws, um, mass times velocity. I thought we were going to die. And my grandfather very calmly took both hands and stood up and pulled, pushed that transmission back into first gear. We slowed down and didn't die that day on the mountain, man. That was scary, but that was it. Tractors are different. Transmissions are unsynchronized and you really don't shift those things moving typically, typically. But. What is it about little brothers, right? <laughs> yeah. Little brothers. Yeah. If you ever get in trouble, it's always because you're stupid little brother. Yeah. And this is, yep. That, you're right. Little brother, I've never driven a tractor that was a manual transmission. Uh, anyway, worst one, uh, easily uh, no problem. Uh, 1973 Chevy Vega three speed it had a three on the floor, oh, yes, and just sucked. Long throw, long throw for the clutch, 
and then this awful engine and it just was completely unsatisfying it's the only one i ever drove that i can think of that was absolutely no fun yep the coolest manual car not something you've necessarily driven but something you're like all right that's the cool car maybe the manual transmission car that you dream of or something but that just the coolest uh car you know not the coolest car but the one where you're like all right that manual is that's the one well I, you know i always go back to my cover but i had a i had a close ratio uh top loader four speed and it was cool because the the top loader transmission was the old ford transmission but it was it was a beefy transmission and when you shifted it just locked in i mean it was a it was not buttery smooth, but it was, it felt like old Detroit iron locking in, but yeah, very smooth synchronized, but being close ratio meant that you got, you know, you didn't have these super long, tall gears that we have now. I mean, first gear did not go to 55 in this car. It was like my bullet has six gears, but I can hit 50 miles an hour in first gear. And I'm like, why? But they do it for, e they do it for EPA and gas and mileage and all that, but a true, a close ratio transmission and you don't need more than five gears i know your porsche has seven and i might find myself going third to six fourth to six it's like it that kind of takes away a little bit for me but i understand why the manufacturers do it but old-fashioned close ratio five-speed gearbox with the true fifth gear overdrive that is the cool transmission yeah yeah i love that and uh how about you the thing about those those cars that I love is that because there's a lot of power, it's a very hefty transmission. It's very sturdy, and you really feel it's there's nothing delicate about it. Right. For me, instantly, I thought any Ferrari gated transmission. And yeah, that's, they, yeah, yeah. They just are so cool to look at, and I dream. I've never driven a Ferrari. I dream of driving one one day, and when I do, I don't want to do the paddles. I want the gated manual. I drove a Ferrari, um, but it was it was automatic. It it was not a manual, unfortunately. But it was it was a sweet drive. The twelve cylinder was, was amazing. But can't beat it. So no, the strangest, oddest manual you can think of that you've driven or whatever. Uh, classic French little car Citroën, a Renault Catrell, where the stick shift comes straight out of the dash. I had the hardest time. You know, my, my grandfather's truck had three on the tree. As a Ford, that was easy. I could get used to that. But the stick shift going straight in and out of the dash right there, like between your air vents, was that was just the strangest thing to me. How about you? And the Dushevos had that too, right? The Dushevos had it. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. I've always that was strange. And I actually put down the, the three on the tree as the strangest. And the reason I think it's strange is I don't even know why they do that. You know, this this thing comes out of the steering column, and that's why they call it the tree. So you've got this thing, it's just like a lot of automatic transmissions, you know, it comes out of the steering column and you change it. Well, this was a, a manual transmission and the four on the floor or a manual transmission that comes out of the floor actually makes sense because that's where the transmission is. It goes into the transmission, but the one in the steering column, it's not going into the transmission. I don't even know how the hell you link from there. I'm sure it's this long cable or something, but it's just weird. It seems, it seems so strange. When you, I, I do understand they did it because you have a bench seat. You want to, you know, people routinely in the old days. And that they put, pile four to five people on a bench seat on the front right. of a truck because there there weren't such thing as crew cabs back then. Yes, so I, I do get it, but yeah. uh, again, the fact that it's so far removed from the transmission just seems strange to me. So, yeah. Um, 
And then you know, any other manual memories? Uh, my my manual memory at eleven years old, uh, I still I can't beat that. I mean, I, that's I know I can't like I can't believe my dad did that. <laughs> it's yeah. almost it's uh, I, I think you'd go to jail for that now. The only one memory of uh, the manual that that just automatically comes to mind is, of course, they're always going back because when I had my cover back in the late nineties. You remember everybody had the no fear and fear of this stickers on the back mm-hmm. of their little truck. So I pulled up to a traffic light. I was in in the Cobra and a, a little mini pickup, some 16, 17 year olds pull up and they've got the no fear sticker across the back window. And it's a little bit lowered. And and I just look over them and I started laughing. And they're like, they were like getting a little, little pissed off. And I'm like, and I put my finger up in the air and I, I shake it back and forth and I say, and I go, no, 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 fear this. Fear this. And fear that they didn't know what a Cobra was. So they took off the light. I popped the clutch and my tires were still spinning when I went to second gear all the way through 50 miles an hour. And there's just smoke out the back. And that's something that you can really, I mean, you can do it in automatics now, but there's not something like in a manual popping the clutch. And in my bullet, when it when I got to get new tires, I'm waiting for the rear tread to get a lower. I have line lock, and I cannot wait to lock the front brakes and pop the clutch and sit there and do a total Hoonigan burnout. It's just, I mean, it's just, I just can't wait to do that. You can't, you can't beat it. Those are memories. My, my uh, lasting memories uh, will be of teaching my three boys how to drive a manual transmission, oh, yeah. which was uh, whatever pleasurable parts of driving a manual is that's the opposite <laughs> yes there were a lot i taught all three of mine and there were some tears with one of my children teaching what, her who's crying? were you the one with the tears <laughs> <laughs> yeah. watch this smelling my clutch burn away yeah yes yeah, yeah. yeah my, my whiplash <laughs> you know they learn and, and i'm very proud that they can all drive manual now i think they're i think they're proud too so yeah, it's, a, it's a good thing but yeah it's yep. it's it's not fun teaching no. kids how to drive manually you yeah. got to do it and i did it but uh yeah all right so well let's move on and and uh r.i.p manual transmission not yet but soon and it's a shame so there you go a little eulogy to uh, a loved part of our our lives so that's that's a great thing so all right what do we got this the safety thing today i'm excited uh all I, right the I, safety i, I want to hear so- some stories well, uh, let's start with, um, you know, it raises a question on the eulogy of the manual transmission is, is a car with a manual transmission safer than a car with an automatic transition? There's not a lot of literature that, that says either one is safer than the other. What we do know is that driving a manual transmission car requires more attention from the driver's standpoint. And you're keeping all four limbs occupied. It's really hard to shift gears with your iPhone in your hand at the same time and read your text. So we know that it does require, and I I know you and I have talked about this. I'll see a light turn red, automatically put in the neutral. I'm letting the car coast down. I'm not riding on the brakes. But interestingly, there was a study that showed that teenage boys with ADHD that were more attentive in driving and actually had safer histories in those in automatics. And that makes sense. Here you got some of the ADHD, which you're giving them something to do with all four limbs. So that that makes sense. I thought that was interesting. I like that. I'm not surprised actually, because because if you're shifting your if you're you're sitting at a light and you're accelerating one, two, three, four, you're going through the gears, you're not looking at your phone. You can't. Yeah. But you know, remember the most 
important safety feature in the automobile? Uh, I don't know, Stefan. The driver. Yeah, of course. <laughs> the driver. Okay. That's, you can make cars safe, but you're still putting idiots behind the wheels. All right. So let's, uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of segue through this, but today's kind of topic is unrestrained objects in cars. And we don't think about this a lot, but, you know, before seatbelt era and unrestrained objects includes people, occupants of the vehicle. And I talked about kids in the back seat, you know, striking each other's heads, unrestrained. And we can never deny gravity and, and Newton's laws. You know, there's three laws. The first law is the law of rest. An object at rest stays at rest unless acted upon. Second was force equals mass times acceleration. And third, an object in motion is going to remain in motion until an equal and opposite force. And that's what's important for cars. You know, that's why I remember as a kid, you'd think I'm flying an airplane at 500 miles an hour and I throw the tennis ball up. Why does it stay where it is and doesn't fly through the back of the airplane? And you finally understand Newton's laws of physics and you, you get over that. But think about it today. All these SUVs, all these folding seats, people throwing shit in the back of these SUVs without strapping down their cargo. All right, so you got a you got a load of two by fours in there. You slam on the brakes. That two by four now becomes a spear in your vehicle. I've had patients impaled by objects that they had in the back of their car. You know, you go sixty to zero hitting a concrete abutment, a Jersey barrier, hitting another car head on at forty miles an hour. Those objects are going to fly until they hit hit something. You know, plywood sheets become guillotines in the back of these. Think about if you have a bowling ball, you throw in the backseat of your car instead of on the floorboard. You slam on the brakes, that thing is going to fly and hit the, your back seat. We had several patients, you know, a lot of times people didn't want to wear seatbelts in the back. And I've had several cases. So if you're the driver and you're in a frontal collision and the person behind you is not wearing a seatbelt, they are going to fly forward at 30 miles an hour until they hit the back of your seat. So now you're trying to ride down a collision. And now you've got a 120 kilo person doing 30 miles an hour striking the back of you. You're going to get crushed between the steering column and the seat. We saw a lot of bad injuries from this, from unrestrained occupants striking others in the vehicle. Especially now that people are overweight, you know, what if you got someone 300 pounds behind you? It's what that bowling ball is relatively light. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're toast. But remember growing up as kids, where's your favorite place to sleep on a car trip that you and your brother would fight over? It was a shelf behind the rear seat. <laughs> yeah, back up under the window. Yeah, did you ever rear window. Did your dad ever hit the brakes and you fly out of there? I did one time. Yes. Yes, I think we all did. <laughs> I mean, all the time and. This is sad, but I've seen also, unfortunately, you know, we'll see it down south and haven't seen it in a long time. But you see two-year-olds standing up in the front seat between the adults. I've seen infants go in the glove boxes. I've seen kids go across the dash, unfortunately. But, you know, we were talking about manuals. Um, I've got two good manual stories. Oh, let's hear so, it. All right, here we go. So if you're, you know, if you are an unrestrained driver, you're going to fly around. Well, if you are flying around your vehicle when you crash and roll and there is a stick shift, that stick shift now becomes a lethal object. I've actually got a picture of this, but I won't show the graphic part, but the, a guy had to be extracted from the vehicle because the stick shift had impaled him through his leg. 
So they had to cut off the stick shift, but they right. brought him in with it. But it was just a minor flesh wound. It was just up and through the skin. It did break his leg, but it wasn't that bad considering. But I got a picture of me holding that stick shift up in the air. Um, I love to wave those things around when I pull them out of people. It just, you know, adds a little bit to it. So the the stick shift, even though it's got, you know, like, I mean, it's not a sharp end. You put your hand on it. It's usually round or something like that, but it doesn't matter. It actually went through the through his skin into the flesh of his yeah. Of his Think leg. about it. You're you're flying. You're doing 30, 60 miles an hour, and you're hitting things. A blunt object will still penetrate because of the amount of force. Think about it. Uh, you know, it doesn't oh. have to be sharp to penetrate. Yeah, it doesn't. You know, if it's sharp, it doesn't take much energy to push a knife through. You know, but you can be penetrated. You know, by anything if the force is great enough. And there are huge forces when you're traveling 30, 40, 60 miles an hour that people don't realize the amount of energy and forces involved. Just look at a car that's crashed on the interstate, and you'll see that that is the releasement of energy to decelerate that vehicle, and it's a tremendous amount of energy. Mm. But so, funny story. So, you know, and part of trauma was I always had to know the story. Me getting out of bed at two o'clock to take care of you because you crashed, because you're intoxicated, or you got shot or stabbed. It was my privilege to understand the story. And then in the old days of newspapers, I cross-referenced the paper to make sure you're telling me the truth, but we don't have newspapers anymore. I found it always boiled down to one or two things. It was always love or money. And typically the money was the import-export business, but you know, your old lady shot you or, or your old lady's with another man. or So it was always love or money. So the nurses would always roll their eyes. I'd walk in if the patient was awake at the trauma patient. I'd look at him straight and I'd say, tell me, was it love or money? That's and, really uh, funny. And, I'd never thought about that. Yeah, it's, it boils down and trauma is predictable. But okay, so here's a story in this. And, and so, all right, we'll just call him the just dude. Just tell the story, man. Don't, and, I, I know this is going to be a good one. So just, just, just go, man. All right. So the dude, Don't he stops at explicit. Yeah, I won't make this too explicit. But the dude, all right, stops at a corner and he hears an offer he can't refuse at a fair price. From a young lady. From a young lady. So she gets in the car. He has a little dopamine surge, as you, uh, as you can imagine, from being entertained by this uh, Miss Felicity Ace. Um, she's, <laughs> <laughs> she's entertaining him. And in his massive dopamine surge, he loses control and crashes. Well, of course, Mrs. Felicity Ace wasn't restrained. And she became a foreign object in the vehicle. And she got impaled by the stick shift as well, but through the abdominal cavity. You can kind of imagine why it was through her abdominal cavity as she was stretched out across the front seat. But so that was, and there's only two cases, and I'll save the other one for another day. But this is one of only two cases of love or money. And this was one of my partners that told me this story. He had this one. And she is one of two that were traumas because of love and money. So mm. I don't know if she got paid or tipped, though. I don't think so that night. Oh my gosh, that's an amazing story, Stefan. Uh, I think I'd call her Fellatio Ace, but um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, I, I should have thought of that one. Yeah, <laughs> I, feel, it. yeah. I feel bad for her, and uh, what a mess, what a terrible situation. So, all right, well, listen, um, that wraps up today's episode, and and uh, R.I.P. Manual Transmission. It makes me sad to think it's going to be gone, but you know, you and I will always have it. 
have at least one car with a manual. I know. Oh yeah, absolutely. For the rest of our lives. And, but it's a shame they're going away. We just have to, I wanted to note the moment and kind of say goodbye and tip my hat to a wonderful part of, of my past, present and future, but past of the automotive world. So that's it for episode nine. Again, like, follow, all that good stuff. We appreciate any feedback. So keep that coming as well. And we will see you next week.